So we, we'll have some time for some, some questions this morning. And just before we get to that, uh, there's a, a monk that I was with in England. Uh, he would tell me sometimes he would ring the bell maybe 20 minutes before the end of a sitting. And oftentimes people would think that was the end of the sitting. And he would say, the way you just relaxed when you heard that bell ring, (laughs) that's the right attitude. (laughs) Because it's so easy to be sitting there waiting, struggling, and then the bell rings and suddenly everything's so relaxed. How does that happen? We just heard the sound, you know. So if you can, just ring the bell inside your mind <laughs> every five minutes and just, you know, see if the body can settle a little bit and go, oh, right, this, I can, I can be here and relax and even enjoy, if possible, what's happening. <laughs> it doesn't have to be torture. I think uh, so many lessons we get in life is unless it's really painful and unpleasant, we're not uh, we're not getting somewhere. And the way I I think I began to really explore what was being encouraged in practice, you know, particularly as I was studying with Utejaniya, is he really emphasized this sense of learning. The practice is this learning path, and how do we learn? What are the conditions in which the mind learns? And for me, it's, I can tell it's when the mind's light, when I feel somewhat easeful, not critical, not trying to get somewhere, just this balanced, you know, we hit our groove, just really, really okay with conditions. If we look at it as a, a learning process, and I think, Oftentimes practice becomes more this thing of purification, which so easily leans into aversion, judgment, fixing, changing, I'm no good, which then practice becomes another way that we're traumatizing our mind. And then we don't want to go to the hall uh, because it symbolizes something that's painful, where it really ought to be something that's very, it's like a holiday, this easeful, experience. Is that possible? So again, from, from my teacher, he, uh, he would often say that a lot of yogis he was coming across, they had Dhamma trauma. Dhamma trauma. It's like, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> it was basically the, the habit of mind of relating to experience through too much striving, too much tension. And that's when we really are, we're overlooking how the mind is relating to our experience and the power of checking the attitude. How am I viewing? What's happening? Can I be with this? So that we really are learning the balance of mind. How is my relationship to this experience? Can I be with this? Or am I looking at experiences that are overwhelming the mind? Which then of course becomes very difficult because the mind's no longer balanced. So at those times we can first check to see, right, let me view this again as nature. This is simply what's happening. And is this something I can be with? And oftentimes it might be that at that moment, it's like the wave of experience is so big and the mindfulness, the strength of the mindfulness and the wisdom are not yet able to meet that experience. And it may be helpful 
you know, let's say if it's a pain in the body, it may be helpful actually to move the attention, shift the body. Someone was standing up during the sitting, and we can stand during the sitting, letting the body relax. Um, then you find when the mind is more balanced, it's actually able to be with the experience again. When the quality of the mindfulness maybe is a little bit stronger, we're able to see the nature of the experience. We're not as identified and caught in what's happening. Does that make sense? So, how are things going? Best of times, worst of times, (laughs) back and forth. <laughs> the gates to the center? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you were describing the uh, the bridge, is this actually an image in the mind? When you check your yeah, yeah, that I, I, memory is coming. Sense the water going underneath the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way, you know, again, we can say that it really doesn't matter what's strengthening the mindfulness. If it's noticing that the mind is thinking about this bridge and that's, being a, that's a support for the mindfulness, the muscle of mindfulness to getting, getting stronger, it's a perfectly good thing to be mindful of. Typically, we say in the beginning, you know, when the momentum of the mindfulness is still building in the beginning of retreats, the analogy is like you go into a movie theater and you say, try and just be mindful while watching this movie. And, you know, 
maybe one in-breath and then we're in the movie, right? We're completely absorbed. So we typically say, you know, with the thoughts, because the content is so seductive to follow the concepts, which tends to weaken the mindfulness, and tends to increase the delusion, the clinging, the identification, the beginning before the mindfulness isn't really, before it's not really going, we say, can be helpful to come back to something like the breath and the body, but being careful not to have this idea that the thinking is wrong. It simply might take a little bit more momentum before we can just allow that to be another arising experience that's part of the nature of the mind. And we look at the mind, we could say it's it's the nature of the mind to think, to be aware, to be distracted, to be sleepy, restless, judgmental, inner critic. These are all ways that the mind functions Right? And there's some aspects of the mind that we are cultivating. So we're cultivating the mindfulness. We're cultivating wise view. We're cultivating the attitude. How am I relating to these? are all the aspects of the mind that we're cultivating. And it's helpful, you know, the other analogies would then be like, it's the nature of the heart to pump blood. It's the nature of the lungs, you know, to expand and contract and to allow the breathing to happen. It's the nature of the body to have sensations. So we really want to see that this is the nature of these things. The nature of the mind is to think. At times it may be that we're just being seduced into the story and we're losing track of the reality that thinking is happening. That's something we have to be mindful of and just check, am I just, is the mindfulness getting weak because it's following the story? Or is actually the mindfulness really clear even though thinking is happening. And that's really an exciting time in practice when the thoughts can still be there and you have confidence of, oh, actually I'm I'm being mindful. I'm awake even though there's a story playing. And then as you're saying, yeah, sometimes we can get more sensitive to the emotions potentially and whatever else is happening and seeing the cause and effect impact of how the thoughts so often condition our emotions the emotions have an impact on the body, sensations, and that, that also might feed back into the thinking. And we're just learning anything about the mind and body. You know, that's what the, the awareness allows us to do. Anyone else thinking a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I had my own kind of metaphor for the awareness and the tapping you know, mm. the, my sangha job is, is sweeping outside on the, the upper deck and so there's a big outdoor broom that I use and there are these little black mats that doormats that sit outside the door and of course they're made to kind of catch debris and leaves and so my mind is the doormat <laughs> and I take the big broom and I'm trying to sweep all the debris off and of course it's not coming off mm. and actually the mat is moving around <laughs> and so um, what I do next is pick up the mat and start beating against the, <laughs> the railing to try to get all the debris off there. And, and that doesn't work either. And of course, that's similar to me kind of beating myself up for mm-hmm. getting there. And then, of course, when I put the mat back down and uh, just gently guide the broom on top of each individual piece of kind of debris, they would just kind of easily kind of go. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of ways in which the Dharma manifests, you know, in just 
the world and oftentimes in our life when we're actually struggling to doing to do something we make a mess and the way the best way forward is somehow aligning ourselves with the way things are you know the way an epiphany comes or an insight it's like when we stop struggling against the mind or trying to force it and there's this more intuitive natural allowing and i you know I've it, it really ought to be that as the practice gets more and more established in our mind and heart, that the life becomes more simple because we're not, we're really present, we're able to be with it. Not that we can change everything or fix everything, but we're able to really see how can I best apply myself to the ex- experience, whether it's relationship, family, conversation, you know, or sweeping the mat or, you know, whatever it is that we're, we're doing. Saito was describing that, you know, with effort, particularly so many defilements come in with effort because we're so used to over-efforting. It's the place where it's these just the striving and the doing and the controlling. He was walking back, I think, from an alms round once after they had gotten back into the monastery and they then, you know, washed their bowls, the monks, and, you know, cleaning things. And he saw one monk uh, having, I think, cleaned out his bowl with a little rag. It was a tiny little rag. And he had washed was washing the rag to clean it and he saw that he was using his whole body to just squeeze this tiny little rag and afterwards he asked what were you doing to the rag what were you what were you trying to do were you you, know, were you killing the rag or and he said, oh, i was just cleaning it he said oh i just check to see how much energy you know you need to do that to do to do it well and yeah, so and then we try and you know wash the mind and we do the same thing so it's uh, 9.30, just a couple announcements.